Welcome to People Who Wrote Books, a podcast about people who wrote books. I'm your host, Andrea, and I am going to tell you the stories of some of my personal favorite authors. So you know when you were a kid and you would get this like birthday card that had all these random facts about the day you were born, like the cost of bread and stuff? Well, I received one of those once when I was young, and there were a couple of things that I remembered from it. They just stuck in my brain. So one of those was that the number one song on the day I was born was Kiss on My List by Hall and Oates. I will not sing it for you. I will spare you that. And the other thing that I remembered was that I was born on the same day as Langston Hughes. Now, I was young at that time, and I did not have any of Hughes's works at my fingertips. But because that stuck in my brain, because that just happens to me, random things like to stick in there and these weird file cabinets in the back corners. Anyway, because it stuck in my brain, I did find his works when I was a teenager. And so today we're going to dive in to the story of Langston Hughes. James Mercer Langston Hughes was born on February 1st, which is a great day to be born if I do say so myself. In 1901 or 1902, there are some differing opinions on that. So a one or a two in Joplin, Missouri. And Joplin is a small city. In the 1900 census, the population of Joplin was already about 26,000. So it was a good sized place. And it seems like Joplin's big claim to fame is that Bonnie and Clyde and their gang stayed there for a few weeks in 1933. And when they fled, they left behind a camera which is where we got all of those famous pictures of the two of them. You know which ones I'm talking about with the car. And now I am definitely off topic, and I do realize that that's kind of a common occurrence on these episodes, so maybe I'll just have to embrace that, like my overuse of the word cool. And now let's get back to Langston. He was the second child of Carrie and James, and unfortunately, shortly after he was born, his father left the family, ended up moving to Mexico for work. Because of this, his mother was often traveling to find work, and Langston ended up spending much of his youth with his grandma, Mary, in Lawrence, Kansas. Now, Mary sounds like a really awesome human, and it appears that she had a very positive impact on Langston. Mary was born to an enslaved African-American woman and a white slave owner in North Carolina in 1835. And somehow, out of this background, she became the first black woman to attend the preparatory department of Oberlin College. Now, some accounts say that she did go on to be the first black woman to attend Oberlin College, the college itself. There's some discrepancy around that, but nonetheless, Mary was breaking educational boundaries for black women. And throughout her life, she remained an active abolitionist. I am positive that I could easily have an entire podcast about Mary, but this episode is about Langston, and so we're going to go back to Langston in his time with his grandma. So when he was living with his grandma Mary, they were in a segregated town and grew up in poverty. And there is an amazing quote from Langston from his 1940 autobiography, The Big C, that talks about that time in his life, and I wanted to share that quote with you. So this is a quote from the Big C. Then it was that books began to happen to me, and I began to believe in nothing but books and the wonderful world in books, where if people suffered, they suffered in beautiful language, 
not in monosyllables as we did in Kansas. Wow. I mean, that says a lot about the impact of literature in his life when he was this young boy without his parents being raised by his grandma in poverty in Kansas, and he found so much solace in books. Mary passed away in 1915, which means Langston would have been only 13 or 14. That must have been a devastating thing for Langston. Now he's losing that stable, powerful, constant person in his life. And he did, after her death, he lived with some friends of the family, James and Mary Reed, for a while. He tried living with his mother and her new husband for a bit in Illinois. In 1919, he did go to visit his father in Mexico. So he was just, he was moving around a lot at this time. And he did end up graduating from high school in Cleveland, Ohio in 1920, because that's where his mother and her new husband were living at that time. And during high school, he was involved with the newspaper, the yearbook. And this is when he really began writing poetry, plays, and short stories. And I just want to give him credit for this first accomplishment. He's going to have so many accomplishments throughout his life. But in 1920, only about 17% of people graduated from high school in the United States. So with all of the things that were working against him, this was an impressive accomplishment. And I think it really says something about his personal drive and determination. Now, after graduating high school, Langston attended Columbia University. Yes, he went to Columbia University in New York, and his father was actually able to pay for this, but his father would not pay if Langston wanted to study writing because his father didn't see writing as a a real career, so Langston majored in engineering in order to get his father to pay for his education. And I find this just fascinating because I can't find much about his father. I mean, I know that he He left the family and eventually ended up working for the Pullman train company in Mexico, but he must have made good money doing that. So, you know, kind of adding that to the fact that Langston grew up in poverty, even though his father must have been making money. During his time at Columbia, Langston was writing poetry for the daily newspaper under a pen name. And in 1921, his first poem was published in The Crisis, which was the official magazine of the NAACP. So he's only 20, maybe 19 at this point when he had his first poem published. That's pretty cool. Unfortunately, he decided to leave Columbia in 1922 due to the racist attitudes of the faculty and students. I mean, I can't imagine what he probably had to deal with. He couldn't live in student housing, and it definitely must have been um, a terrible situation in order for him to choose to leave Columbia. After he left Columbia, he became a crewman on the SS Malone and ended up traveling for six months throughout the world and even a little extended stay in Paris. And then he returned to the States in November of 1924, where he lived with his mother in Washington, D.C. He had several jobs during this time, but eventually he quit to become a busboy because the jobs he had didn't give him time to write. And I think any creator can understand this tension. Yes, you you take that job because it pays the bills, but is it worth it if you can't create? During this time, his poetry continued to be published in magazines, and his first book of poetry, The Weary Blues, was published in 1926. Again, wow, this is such an amazing accomplishment. And this is a great moment to kind of pause on the timeline of his life and talk about the fact that he was not just writing poetry, 
he created a new style of poetry called jazz poetry. And the hallmark of jazz poetry is its improvisational rhythm. And for Langston, this was a form of racial pride, which I think is really neat that he was creating this, combining that the style of jazz with his poetry. Now, another big life event happened for Langston in 1926. In addition to having his first book of poetry published, he enrolled at Lincoln University in Pennsylvania, and he graduated with his bachelor's degree in 1929, which is really, you know, he had that goal. He wanted to study for the sake of studying, and he did that. And he did it on his own, rather than compromising and studying what his father wanted him to study in order to get it paid for. So I think that's really another really cool thing that he did. After graduating college, Langston moved to Harlem, which is where he lived for the rest of his life. And it seems like he really found a home in Harlem, which he, you know, he traveled so much growing up or moved around so much and traveled. It was, it's great to see him find that place to call home. Now we can't talk about Harlem in the twenties and thirties without mentioning the Harlem Renaissance. Jim Crow laws were creating this hostile, brutal, and often deadly world for African-Americans in the South. And it is estimated that between 1910 and 1970, approximately 6 million African-Americans moved North to escape that life. And that time is referred to as the Great Migration. And this contributed to the, the increase in population and the intellectual and cultural revival that was centered in Harlem, Manhattan. And Langston Hughes and his works were a huge part of the Harlem Renaissance and I think why he felt at home there with this group of people. Okay, so back to Langston and his works. In 1930, he published his first novel, Not Without Laughter, and he won the Harmon Gold Medal for Literature for it. His first published novel, he won an award for it. And there weren't that many awards for writing at the time. So this is a huge deal. And this book is about growing up as a poor black child in America. He uses his mother and his grandmother as characters in the story. And this really exemplifies Langston's goal to reveal the realities of lives of African-Americans. He he does this in his novels. He does this in his poetry. And this was a big deal because no one was showing this side of reality. But like many things that are new and challenging, not everyone is going to like it, but he stuck with it. And that was because this was his way. This was, this was the way that he felt was best up to fight the injustices of our systemic racism in America. Now, Langston did not leave Harlem much after he settled there. But he did make a trip to the Soviet Union in 1932 with a team that was interested in making a film about the struggle of African-Americans living in the United States. Now, the film did not end up being made, but it did give Langston the opportunity to travel through the Soviet Union, Japan, China, and Korea. At this point, you could see stronger political views in his writings, but he later removed those pieces um, after being accused of being a communist. It was the 30s. Now, in the 30s and 40s, Langston continued to write, but he also helped form several theaters. He started a press. He co-wrote a screenplay. And in 1940, he published his autobiography, The Big C. That means that by the age of 39, 
or 38, depending on which year you're using, he had had enough exciting, interesting life experience to write a book about it. That's pretty cool. And then through the 50s and 60s, his writing continued to grow in popularity and cause debate. And I am a firm believer that great art will always start a discussion. And it seems like Langston was okay with that as well. He was okay with people having different opinions of his writings and the portrayal of the um, of African Americans that he put out there. So I like that he he seems like he was a really a true artist. Langston passed away in 1967 from complications following a surgery for prostate cancer. His final resting place is epic. His ashes are beneath the floor of the Schoenberg Center for Research in Black Culture in Harlem with the inscription, My soul has grown deep like the rivers, which is a line from his first published poem. And his memorial, of course, included jazz and some of his poetry And I wanted to share with you one of the passages that was read at his memorial. And this is from his poem, Life is Fine. Life is for the living. Death is for the dead. Let life be like music and death a note unsaid. Beautiful, right? All right. And then seven months after Langston passed away, Columbia University actually held a memorial service for him as well. And in it, they issued an apology to Langston. And one of the speakers, Professor Shenton, said, and I quote, I am here partly as a way of saying for Columbia that we owe some apologies. For a while, there lived a poet down the street from Columbia, and Columbia never took the time to find out what he was about. I hope you enjoyed learning a little more about Langston Hughes. And remember, behind every great book is a person who wrote it. And in this case, that person broke the mold and created his own form of poetry.